to the July 2012 edition of Ordinary Means, uh, the podcast, the only podcast that's called the Ordinary Means Podcast. I was trying to think of something special about this podcast. I'm your host, uh, Sean Nolan. It's an, or- it's an ordinary podcast. I it, think, so. it is. We're, we're nothing special. We're just ordinary guys calling you back to the ordinary means of grace. Uh, we're trying to tell you, stop trying to be special. <laughs> and you're just, special, Sean. Just do, Matt, you're special too. By the way, I'm Sean, and this is Matt. And if you haven't listened to this podcast before, um, you're probably about to turn the podcast off. But if you have listened before, uh, you're aware that for the past few months, we've been talking about struggling churches and what in the world are struggling churches to do. And I think we've established uh, the reality uh, that struggling churches are a reality. We probably don't need to establish that. That is that that's a reality that we're all aware of. If we if we're part of a church that has been an established, particularized church, uh, has moved beyond the church planting phase. Uh, the the chances are our church is probably plateaued, and uh, possibly we we pray. Uh, not entirely, lost its first love, uh, lost that sight of the things uh, that Jesus wants to see the church doing. And the past months here, we've Matt and I have talked about the how uh, we, we walked through Paul's missionary journeys. Uh, we talked about how Paul was all about going out and helping struggling churches. Not only did he plant them, he went back and visited them. Uh, then we and moved, he wrote letters to them. And he wrote letters to them. He was he was eager to see them growing, to to be uh, keeping up with them, to to be putting elders, um, establishing elders, so that there were godly, mature men there to keep the churches on the right path. Um, then we we came to Revelation. Of course, Revelation has that whole letter to the church in Ephesus, where we get this language of losing your first love. And even though your church might be doing all sorts of things wonderfully, um, if, if a church has lost its first love, if it's lost sight of Jesus' purpose for the church, if it's lost sight of what it means to walk by faith uh, with Christ, um, Christ may be just about to pull your lampstand out. And that's a scary place to be as a church. Mm-hmm. Now, Matt, back in April, you did a talk... Uh, at North City PCA in Poway, California, um, on sort of some of the topics that we've been talking about, mm-hmm. and um, and and you you got there, you got to okay, your church that maybe has lost its first love, and this is this isn't something that's um, that you're just getting out of scripture. You've actually had some experience in these churches, right? right. So, what, so tell us a little bit about what you've experienced and maybe how do we, um, how does a church move? How does a church recognize they've lost their first love and how does a church begin to move beyond that? And really what I think today is going to be is today is going to be an introduction, uh, to a Q and a that you did at that same church that we're going to, we're going to tag that on here at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Matt, why don't you tell us sort of the story, how you got thinking about struggling churches? Yeah, so right out of seminary, I just, um, Sean and I have both uh, gone over our 10-year anniversaries of being ordained in the PCA, he about six months ago and me just a month ago. And um, 
the first church that I was at in uh, Redditor Seminary was in southwestern Pennsylvania and um, got to visit with some of those folks just a little over a month ago, which was really, really neat. But I came into a church that um, had just gone through the plant phase. Um, I followed the guy who planted the church, and I was there about a year, and a gal uh, came up to me after the service, and she said, why isn't our church growing? We think you're a decent preacher, and we think we're nice people. And I honestly didn't have an answer for her. And so I was like, I I don't know, but um, I'll go find out, because I... As far as I can remember from seminary and from my other experiences, churches ought to grow. I mean, we ought to be, we pray that kingdom come and expect that uh, God's going to defeat Satan's kingdom, advance his own kingdom, and use us to do it. And so in that sense, churches uh, ought to see people coming to know Christ, and some of those folks uh, ought to land in their church. That's general, just basic church dynamics of what's going on. And um, so... Uh, I didn't know how to answer the question. Why wasn't our church growing? And so it forced me to go back and uh, read the church planting literature for the first time because I was just the side of a church plant. And so I was like, well, how's the church plant? How's this thing supposed to work anyways? And um, I hadn't uh, – the particular seminary they went to had a lot of strengths, very much appreciated what I learned there. But um, really church planting was for the few people uh, who were interested in it, and there wasn't a lot of necessarily um, training in it overtly. It wasn't part of their – educational goals, which is fine. Um, but it, it, I didn't know much about church planting. It hadn't really had an interest in it up to that point. And so um, I kind of got into the church planting literature, and I was like, oh, that's how a church is supposed to be planted. And my church had not been planted well, um, and that for a variety of reasons. But at least two of them was that uh, a guy who probably should not have been planting churches ended up as the church planter. And the reason that that church came into existence, and this is, you know, public knowledge, so this isn't, uh, you know, betraying any secrets or whatever, is that church came into existence um, out of convenience, not out of conviction. So in the particular part of the world where I used to pastor in southwestern Pennsylvania, there were two churches in our denomination that were about 50, 5-0 minutes apart on a major highway. And there were people driving from the middle, and they were like, we should have a church in the middle. This is too far to drive for church. And that was the primary motivation for the church being started. Um, and, of course, when you start that way, when you start a church out of convenience, um, it doesn't bode all that well for the, for, the, for the health of the church. And so what I found myself in was not just a poorly planted church, but we were planted. We had elders. We were mostly self-supporting. Um, what I was in was an unhealthy church, a church that perhaps, uh, you know, um, well, at the point when I started investigating all this, the church had never reached a single person with the gospel. Um, and so it was a very it was a very unhealthy church. Nice people um, liked the church, liked being together as a group of people, but they had not gathered uh, for the reason of seeing the gospel come to new people. That, that wasn't their primary organizing factor in why they had gotten together as a church. And that was a very this, – this, the uh, elders meeting where I – I, I asked that question of the one elder who had been there the whole time. He thought that 75 or 80% of the people had gotten together just so that it was more convenient for them. Um, that's a very hard dynamic to sort of live down, if you will. And so what I found myself in was not a church plant, but a very un- but an unhealthy church. And that sort of pushed me into trying to figure out, well, what do you do with an unhealthy church? And, um, and so that pushed me into reading a new set of literature, 
um, that's in this area of revitalization or as I'm starting to come talk about it now, so it's less complex, turnaround. How do you help a church turn around? How, how what Jesus calls the church in Ephesus to do to return to their first love, how do you as a pastor, how do the elders together as they lead the church, how do they help a church return to its first love so that the church uh, loves God and loves neighbor um, to you know, Jesus' great summary of the Ten Commandments. How does that, how does that actually happen? And so I started delving into um, the revitalization literature and trying to figure out what, it, what does this look like. And this made me run into, um, actually, I already had a friendship with a guy named Harry Reeder who has a ministry that's oriented towards this. And we can link his ministry in his book um, on the blog. It's a ministry called From Embers to a Flame. And, um, and so I bumped into Harry and began to, to work with my elders and try and help us, uh, figure out how do we go from being in an unhealthy church to a healthy church. Um, eventually, and and that was a neat, wonderful time, wonderful time of growth for me and for, um, the elders as we grew and the church as they began to, um, if you've listened to our podcast at all and you've gone back and listened to, um, is gospel centered a good thing? Um, all of that wrestling of how to um, helpfully do the gospel-centered thing was forged in the the beginning of it was forged in in that experience in that church in Pennsylvania. Um, eventually, um, I, I grew convinced that somebody local there in Pennsylvania would do a better job at that church than I would. Um, I did not fit culturally very well there, and I'm not adaptable. I wish I was, but it's not not uh, not me. At least at the moment, it's not. Um, and so I eventually grew convinced that somebody who was a local there would do better at that church than I did. And I went looking for a different place to minister. And um, as I did that, uh, I found out that at that point I had um, almost – I had over five years ordained experience and I was uh, still fairly young and my kids are cute. John can testify. Um, <laughs> and um, And I found out that in our particular denomination, that was actually a sweet spot. People were looking for people that were youngish and had cute kids and had more than five years' experience. And so there was a lot of interest as I went out there looking for another job. There was a lot of interest in me demographically, um, and which was surprising to me at that time. But it, what was interesting was that I applied for a whole bunch of healthy churches to be their pastor. And um, all of them turned me down. Uh, some of them after they heard my preaching which was uh, really humiliating, actually. And as I wrestled with the Lord with this, um, what, as I was wrestling and trying to pray through this and trying to figure out what, you know, what was the Lord leading me to do and what was he doing in his providence and things like that, um, it, I had a distinct sense uh, as I prayed about this and wrestled with this, tried to understand what my experience has been and what the Lord was, was doing in me and through me. Um, I had a distinct, distinct sense um, that God had not put me through the experience that he had at the church I was at in Pennsylvania. Um, uh, for no reason. For no reason. Yeah. He, he had put me through that to equip me not to go to a healthy church, uh, but to go to a dying church. Uh, and that was a very odd thing to come to. Um but, you know, the Lord works, and sometimes you see ahead of time, sometimes you only see later. In this particular case, I could see, wow, um, okay. You know, and I sort of had the sense of, you know, the Lord did this to equip me to go to a dying church. Well, the great thing about dying churches is that they're all over the place. And the pulpits are usually open because um, 
you know, the last guy got burned out. The last guy who was here at my current church um, left uh, clinically depressed. And uh, so did his predecessor, actually. Um, and so uh, I had the distinct sense that, that God wanted me to go to an unhealthy church and to to continue uh, understanding how do you help uh, – how do you do a Revelation 2 thing as a leader? How do you help a church um, – how do you lead a group of elders? How do you how do you lead the leaders of the church in order to help people recover their first love? And so I came a little over four years ago to Seattle to a dying church on purpose. And um, and what's happened in the last oh, I want to say about a year or so. Am I going too long, Sean? Um, You're good. So you went in, you went in actually knowing that. Oh yeah, you knew I this knew church was in- on in decline. Oh, radically in decline. Yeah, I knew going into this church that I would probably either be the agent, the the, the teaching pastor who would either uh, be an agent in his hands of either causing this church to flourish or perish. Um, and that's a very sober thing. But it, but what's and, it's and not a very safe job opportunity. <laughs> it is not a safe job opportunity, and and it's not somebody. It's not. Um, it's not for the faint of heart because if your identity is wrapped up in in doing a successful job and seeing something really go, um, then that's not the right kind of work for you because it may not. God, God, the people may not want to repent. Um, God may not grant repentance. They may not turn back to their first love. And Jesus may leave the building and take the lampstand with him. Um, this is serious stuff. It's not, it's not, uh, you know, it's not playing church. Um, and so I came here with that, that sense and God's been very gracious. We've been through some difficult things here. Um, but he's been gracious in that, uh, there's a lot of people that are returning to their first love and, um, and, and God's used, God used me and, and the elders that we have here, the leaders that he's amassed here, uh, to see a gospel revolution happen in a lot of people's lives so that they're actually loving God and loving neighbor. Um, and it's exciting. It's, it's absolutely thrilling. It's the, Best work in the world. I walk up here early in the morning many times. My house is within walking distance of the church, so I watch church like Sean does. And um, and I say, I've got, you know, I love my job. I absolutely love my job. It's a great thing uh, to be involved in seeing struggling churches uh, come back to life. Now, let me bridge this a little bit from my own personal experience to something where I feel... Did you want me to talk about this, Sean? Where, the, where are you going? Okay. Yeah, so about a year ago... Um, so my one hat is that I'm the pastor of a turnaround church in Seattle. Um, and I'm also working with our local presbytery, um, to help our presbytery help the struggling churches in our midst. So for example, this fall, we're actually hosting a from members to a flame conference here locally for our own churches in our presbytery, as well as other evangelicals in the area uh, to come and learn what does it look like to have a biblically healthy church that has Jesus uh, at the center. Um, and so I work with one hat as a uh, just a, a pastor in a local turnaround church, helping it turn around. I'm also working with our presbytery to help our presbytery, which is a, just a collection of churches in a geographic area. It's a, similar to a district or to a conference that you might have in other um, denominational settings. I'm also trying to help our presbytery figure out how do we resource, how do we help the struggling churches that are within our bounds. Um, And then I'm doing one more thing, um, which is trying to help our denomination 
um, do this, uh, th- that the culture of our denomination uh, would change. So right now, did you want me to go into this, Sean? Well, yeah, because I, I don't think I don't think we've talked about this yet on the podcast. You okay. d- you did some research. How many pres? We have seventy presbyteries in our denomination. How yeah, many me- how many of those presbyteries are working to help struggling churches? Yeah, two, two. But let me tell you the story of how I how yeah. I figured that, yeah. that that out about it a little over a year ago. So in the Northwest. Um, and this is actually this is a great thing that's happened. Um, but in the Northwest, we have a church planting network. I promise this will get back to turnaround churches. But in the Northwest, we have a church planting network, and um, it's uh, it's like a lot of presbyteries, uh, and it's a good model where we've taken the funding and the control of planting churches away from sort of centralized home office in Atlanta, and we've kind of pushed it down to the presbyteries and a presbytery or a couple of presbyteries that are neighboring was sort of band together to pool resources and wisdom and, and plant churches. And um, if you contribute to the network, then you get to help with the decision-making. makes perfect sense. It's a buy-in, buy-in kind of network. So about a year ago, a little over a year ago, our local church plant network guy here in the Northwest asked me, you know, because I kind of got this weird strategic mind thing going on and, and he doesn't have that many strategic type people um, around. He doesn't have as many as he'd like. And so we have, we're good friends. And he said, Hey, I'd like you at the table to th- think about strategy and stuff. Can you talk to your guys about funding the church planting network? I'm like, sure. So I, um, I came to my guys and I said, Hey, I think we should fund the church planting network. It, it's a great thing. We all believe in church planting, you know, and, um, and I'd love to, you know, sit at the table and help them form strategy or whatever. And I got an earful back from my guys about um, their struggles with our presbytery. And I was blown away. I had no idea. And probably I felt stupid too because I hadn't asked. Um, but one of the things that was said, there were a variety of things that were said, and, and you know, not all that needs to come out here. But one of the things that was said uh, was um, one of my elders looked at me and he said, we've, we've never, our church has been struggling for a lot of years and we never felt like the Presbytery cared about us. And at that point I was kind of like, okay, I think I'm going to fold up this hand of cards and put that away. And what is the next item on the agenda anyways? Cause there was sure no way I was going to get those guys to sign up to give money to a Presbytery or to a worker Presbytery where they'd never thought that the Presbytery had cared about them. And so I was, uh, I was chastened, and I kind of went back with my tail between my legs, and you know, told our ne- local church planting network guy, you know, I'm sorry, we're not going to get any money. Here's what my guys had to say, and what he said to me was very interesting. And and this this is interesting in God's providence how one little comment from somebody can completely um, start something amazing, and this is what I've seen happen in the last 14 months, 15 months, 13 months, something like that. So I went back to our church plant network guy with that little piece of, piece of information. A Presbyterian never really cared about us that my elder had said. And he said, you know what? I came to my church 15, this church plant network guy near us, near me, said, you know, I, I came to this church 15 years ago, and it was a, a turnaround situation. And he says, um, I think the people in my church should say the same thing. The Presbyterian never really cared about them. And you know this guy over here? He's been there 14 years, and I bet he'd tell you the same story that he never felt like Presbyterian really cared about him and his church either. And I got indignant because, um, first, that's not loving. Second, that's not Presbyterian. 
And I was like, this is jacked up. What are you talking about? These are the struggling churches. God has a heart for struggling churches. That's all over the New Testament. (laughs) All of it. All of them are struggling churches. That's why they're getting letters. That's why Paul's going and visiting them. That's why he sends Timothy and Titus, right? So there's this whole ethos that we've been talking about in the New Testament that's, that's there. It's obvious. And what I was finding is at least that my own presbytery had never imbibed any of that ethos. It's like they got half of Paul. They got like the church plant half of Paul, but they didn't get the strength in the churches half of Paul. Mm. The whole corpus of what Paul wrote in the New Testament is to struggling churches. And it's like my own presbytery didn't get any of that at all. Here's what's it's it's what I do as a calling. I help struggling churches, but it wasn't embodied at all in my presbytery. So I was like, well, there's got to be people out there that are doing this really well. And so I went and asked the powers that be, you know, what are some presbyteries that that are doing this well? Well, they came up with two. And the two that they that I was told about, I interviewed some guys, talked to them on the phone, and said, um, they're in the days of small beginnings. So we have a denomination of 1,450 established churches that if the if the national statistics bear out, um, 75% of American evangelical churches are plateaued or declining when you measure it by conversions, by pe- new people coming to Christ, yeah, new pagans coming to Christ. And I think we've talked about this, those statistics. Yeah, I think this was last month, yeah. And so in the PCA, what that would mean is that we've got 1,450 established churches. We've got 300 mission churches, which is phenomenal. It's awesome. But of those 1,450 established churches, we probably have 1,000, 1,000 churches in our own denomination that are plateaued or declining, which means they've either got the seeds of their own destruction or those seeds are starting to bear fruit. Um, and probably of those 1,000 I'm going to guess, I'm working on getting the statistics, that two or 300 of them are like mine, where the next pastor that goes in there is either going to help the church to flourish or perish. Um, and so what I've been working on after recognizing this enormous need, what I've been working on for about the last year or so, a little bit more than a year, 14 months, something like that, um, is trying to help our denomination sort of wake up and shake off the cobwebs and realize that a lot of the time the reason that we can't do what we want to. So the PCA is very active in planting new campus ministries and planting new churches and sending missionaries overseas with a very large foreign missionary force, comparatively speaking to the number of churches we have, things like that. Um, but we're stymied in a lot of those efforts because we have so many unhealthy churches that the churches aren't healthy enough to give to things. And so we're, we're there's a lot of things that we can't do to see the Great Commission move forward because we have so many churches that are unhealthy and nobody's doing anything to help them healthy. And so this has become a bit of a personal crusade over the last 14 months of trying to help the PCA sort of get its act together. And the primary way, so I actually, I have a day job. Um, so when the primary way that I'm seeing that is I'm trying to be a goad to the PCA overall, but the primary thing that I'm involved in, there are already a couple of ministries for members to a flame helps existing churches that are trying to turn around pastors that are in place, elders that are there, there's another ministry that I'm that I'm also very familiar with, a guy named Ken Pretty, who does excellent work in this, where he'll go into an existing church and try and help equip the pastor and the elders to lead forward. Where I'm trying to focus my concentration, so if there's a 1,000 struggling churches in, in the PCA, um, there's probably 700 that one of the existing ministries that are out there can go in and really be of help to them. And I'm happy for the existing ministries to go in there and be of help to them. I'm concerned about the ones, the church like mine, 
where there's two or three hundred of those where the next guy that goes in is is the flourish or perish guy and um and so what i'm particularly working on um is trying to raise up men pastors who who um who have the gifts who have the maturity and the grace the aptitude um and the humility to learn and to grow and to be to go in and to be uh, a useful tool in God's hands in a, a critically endangered church, basically, and um, that's what I'm working on right now. And that'll that'll give I think that'll give our listeners some context then uh, for what we're going to tag on next, which is this Q and A you did. You you gave a talk, and then uh, there was a, sort of a time of question and answers, and we. We apologize for the audio there. You know, you will have with, as with any Q and A, you won't be able to hear the questions. Um, but Matt, uh, you did a, you did a good job of, uh, of repeating the questions. And, um, our hope is that that series of questions and answers now will answer some of the questions that maybe our listeners have about, okay, I, I see that that's true. I see that this is, that there are these declining churches out there. What's the next step? And I think you, uh, I think you get at that a bit in the Q and A. So I think, unless there's something else you want to add in, I think we're going to leave it there and sort of turn it over uh, to that bit of audio, and we'll see our folks again in August. Does that work for you? Sounds good to you. Okay. Well, then uh, here comes the audio. And until uh, August, may the Lord richly bless you, whether you're in a thriving uh, or a dying church. May God give you the eyes uh, to see Christ anew and to love him uh, more than you ever have. May the Lord richly bless you as you pursue him through his ordinary means. 